Hello. Thanks for listening to this Dharma podcast. I hope you consider that in accordance with the Buddhist tradition, all of my work as a teacher is offered without charge and supported entirely by donations only. If you'd like to support this work, you'll find a PayPal button on dharmapunksnyc.com. My work as a Buddhist pastor generally involves um, checking in with a lot of people during the week. During the pre-pandemic, it would be about 20 to 24 people. Now I'm doing more like around 30 to 35 people a week. And it's a wonderful way to connect with people and to hear what people are struggling with. And generally, my work is to listen empathetically, to give people a safe place to express the stuff or the thoughts or the issues that they're struggling with, and then offer tools to help them work through whatever issues they are facing. Not to solve or give instruction in terms of what to do, but just to offer people the practices and tools that will help them uh, through their own uh, work and connection um, and their own uh, practice uh, find a path forward in life. So tonight what I'm going to do is go over some of the themes that I've been hearing for the last five or six weeks, and um, hopefully some of you will relate to one, at least one, or maybe more of the different topics that I'm going to uh, review. And then if you hear something that sounds like it resonates with you, then you can consider uh, the practice that we talk about and uh, some of the tools that I offer. And then at the end of the talk, I'm going to lead us through a meditation where we're going to practice some of the tools I discuss. And I'm going to cover a whole bunch of areas. So um, if you don't, uh, if you can't keep up with all the topics, uh, it'll of course be on the podcast. So one of the themes I've been hearing due to staying at home. Many people I've been working with have been spending long periods indoors and uh, not going out on a daily basis. And unfortunately, that's a recipe for a lot of uh, anxiety disorders in the future. There's a part of the brain called the basolateral amygdala, and its job is to learn things to be frightened of. (laughs) It's kind of funny that such a central uh, region of the brain would be just dedicated to learning fear, learning things that we should be frightened of. Now, the basolateral amygdala, unfortunately for us, will uh, learn to be frightened of things we avoid. So anything we avoid doing for a while will eventually become scary for us. It won't just be something we choose to avoid. It will generally then become something that we're frightened of doing. So for example, Someone who breaks up with a partner and then out of just awkwardness tries to avoid running into that person. And so they avoid going to any gatherings where that person might be or avoids going to that person's neighborhood. Eventually, they will start to feel anxiety at the very thought of running into that person 
they'll become frightened or of running into that individual and they'll feel anxious if they go to that individual's neighborhood. So what started out as a choice now becomes an anxiety-driven form of avoidance coping. So avoiding anything makes us anxious about doing it. And so if we stay in our apartments for too long, over time, we can develop agoraphobia. That's a kind of extreme outcome, but it's actually something that I've heard a number of people already in the course of six weeks uh, verbalize. It also, if we stay too long in our apartments, unfortunately, because we're so familiar with the stimuli in the apartments, there's less exteroception, which means we grow less and less uh, uh, grounded or oriented to what's going on around us. And that can lead to essentially just getting lost in thought, ventromedial, you know, default mode thinking, which is always what's going to happen to me in the future or, you know, repetitive thoughts about things that are out of our control. So getting outdoors is kind of crucial, not just for uh, allowing us to get new stimuli to detach from thoughts, but it's also crucial because sunlight gives us a hundred times the amount of vitamin D than staying indoors. And vitamin D is what provides you with serotonin. And serotonin is what regulates your moods. So if we stay indoors without going out during the day and getting 30 minutes to an hour of some kind of sunlight, then we deprive ourselves of serotonin production and that leads us liable or vulnerable to mood destabilization. You know, obviously for some of us, it's difficult to get outdoors. We may live in apartment buildings where it's a struggle. It's worth putting on the mask, quickly passing by anyone that is not wearing a mask. That kind of transmission of COVID is very unlikely. Transmission generally doesn't happen in those kind of walk-by situations. So getting outdoors is very important to get sunlight to raise our serotonin levels. Next is apathy. Given the lack of external rewards that we're surrounded with, and so many of our routines have been broken up, uh, many of us are struggling to, you know, even get out of bed or pursue um, things that are useful, like exercise or our creative endeavors. Um, this is because unlike the serotonin, which regulates moods, dopamine is what's, what makes us rewarded and, and motivates us to do things that are beneficial. And pretty much everybody I've been talking with has been uh, uh, pretty much uh, conveying, not that they know it's a lack of dopamine, but a lack of a sense of reward, a lack of optimism, a lack of any sense of of uh, underlying ability to pursue goals that they can during this time. And this in turn can lead us vulnerable to what's called anhedonia and depression. Anhedonia is the inability to experience joy, uh, to experience uh, pleasure in life. So one tool that's very, very useful uh, that there's been a lot of studies about motivating why some people can essentially motivate themselves to pursue goals and why other people constantly get stuck. Studies, I wish I could remember the, uh, 
the authors of it, but uh, they found that people who motivate uh, themselves to pursue goals, even when they're struggling, are those who can hold in their minds a positive outcome that will accrue from doing something that is difficult. For example, if we are trying to be creative, to draw or to make music or to to simply meditate or to do something that we know is in our benefit, but we're not yet, we're not doing it because apathy and lack of motivation has been the order of the day, then visualizing a positive outcome that would accrue, very often positive outcomes include visualizing some way that the activity in the long term will lead to um, positive connections, uh, positive relationships in our life. The more you can visualize a positive outcome, the more you will, uh, your left ventral tegmental region of your brain will stimulate uh, dopamine. And the Buddha noted that um, sila nusati, the visualization of positive outcomes for our integ- in, you know, our actions of integrity, our actions of self-care, our actions of being beneficial to others was a, a, an underlying key factor of following a spiritual path. So that's, again, the practice, and we'll practice that um, at the end. Disillusionment. A lot of people I've been talking with have been realizing that they don't, uh, that now that they've been away from their work, their offices, uh, that they don't like what they do. They don't find the meaning in it anymore. The idea of going back to their job or to their office or to their old way of life is no longer at all appealing. In fact, it is alienating. Um, Some people have become alienated from where they live. I know a lot of people in New York, understandably, given what we've been experiencing, have become quite alienated with the idea of returning. So many people have left and now are expressing to me that they're questioning about whether to come back or not. And that's all very fair and fine. Um, Unfortunately, if we try to make big decisions while we're in the middle of one of the most unresolved Uh, situations that any of us have had in our lifetimes where there's no clear path forward, where we don't know what, um, how any of, you know, what the outcomes of the pandemic is going to be, where we don't know whether there's going to be treatments available soon or later or a vaccine or how people will start coming back together or what you know any situation is going to play out with trying to make decisions in this situation is almost futile and then on top of it to make a big decision in our life right after we've become alienated with some part of our life almost invariably leads to bad choices directly after 9-11 i'm sure i've shared this many times in the past but i should note it that after 9-11 Um, I became completely alienated from the work I was doing at the time and really wanted to do something that would be a benefit for people. But if I had decided then, (laughs) I would not have wound up where I am today working as a Buddhist pastor. 
all I knew was that at that time I was deeply unhappy and that I had to set an intention to change and wait for a new path to open for me. And it took a couple of years before even uh, I found, I found the right Buddhist Sangha and I was going and volunteering there and I was volunteering uh, teaching mindfulness at a halfway house and other places. Uh, I would visit uh, Bellevue, teach mindfulness. And then uh, a little while after that, maybe three years after 9-11, the opportunity to go into teacher training uh, was brought up to me out of the blue. And so there wasn't this immediate decision where I'd figured out my life. And if I had tried to, and they made it afterward, aftermath of becoming disillusioned, I would have made a terrible choice. So part of the job right now is to simply know that we're experiencing what in Buddhism is called nakama or alienation. And to renounce um, that we want to renounce what we're doing or what our old life or some element in our old life and to simply set an intention to change and to be open for whatever path uh, reveals itself over time. One of the ways I developed the patience to be with the fact that I was unhappy without having to immediately fix or solve it, and that would have led to disaster, but to simply be with the fact that I was unhappy for a while was I would bring up the, the, the issue in my mind that I'm unhappy with my job, but I don't know what to do next with my life. And I would soften my body and my breath and just relax and just allow myself to be with this unresolved issue in my life. And over time, I just went to the places and practices where I felt the most um, I felt the the most intrinsically drawn to on a level that felt uh, in that felt meaningful on a deeper level where in the long term I started feeling a sense of of it was a benefit so uh, my encouragement would be to not try to figure out or solve what to do next but to simply to be with uh, any degree of um, discomfort with our old life and just to allow that to be a, a present partner with us and to take our time. Now on to the biggest subject, um, the dysregulation that comes from being disconnected. Of course, we're all born with an innate psychobiological drive that impels us to establish proximity with others. Um, that uh, for security, that's the very core drive of our species. Our core drive is to get close to others and to feel seen in the eyes of the other, where somebody, when we ex disclose how we're feeling or express an emotion, someone's facial expression, their eye contact signals that they understand and their facial expression subtly changes in a way that expresses empathy, that they get the fact that we're struggling. And then um, through that, our emotions are regulated. We establish limbic co-regulation and our nervous systems down modulate to uh, a state of um, 
the window of tolerance or to um, uh, uh, homeostasis. So uh, the greatest psychologists of our day, uh, or of the, literally the last 50 years, Carl Rogers, Stolarau, Coat, Bowlby, Kansian, and Shore, and Dan Siegel, and all those uh, note that the fundamental uh, element of um, emotional s stabilization comes from that kind of connection. Um, when we don't have enough connections in our life, uh, exclusion activates a deep region, uh, activates a region right behind the frontal lobe called the anterior cingulate cortex, which lights up. And, you know, because its job is to note when we are disconnected from a tribe or from uh, enough connections, that would throughout our evolution be a very dangerous state. And so that would in turn diminish our levels of dopamine. Uh, so once again, that leads to mood destabilization. Also, there's a, uh, the amygdala, the right amygdala can activate the adrenal glands three via the HBA axis to trigger cortisol, which is a leads to chronic stress. And it, the great uh, psychologist at the University of Chicago, I believe, John Cocciopo, noted that the presence of loneliness in any extended span is the greatest predictor of anxiety or depression. So it's not surprising today that so many of us are struggling with various degrees of either or sometimes both. So one thing to bear in mind is that we can address this even when we're not have that direct proximity of being in the same space with someone. Um, Robin Dunbar, the great evolutionary psychologist, noted that um, it's not how many people we know but it's the quality of our connections. So Dunbar noted that we all human beings can know around 140 people uh, and we can even have a sense of what's going on in about 40 to 50 people's lives. But it, we only really need five or six people that are what's known as uh, co-regulators that we connect with and we express our feelings and those people can restore us to a greater degree of, um, uh, of a relaxed autonomic nervous system. The Buddha in the Kalyanamita Sutta said, uh, admirable friends are the whole of the spiritual path. And in the Mita Sutta, let me look this up, where is this? Uh, oh yeah, he says it's essential to cultivate friends who will endure our pain, listen to our difficult words, share our share secrets and keep our secrets safe when setbacks occur a wise friend doesn't desert us shame or judge us so we're looking for a few people that have that um capability and the way we create the highest form of connection through uh what the means we have at our disposal today is we practice maximizing the stabilizing efficacy of the way we connect, which involves either FaceTime or Zoom or Skype, but some kind of video call. Um, that's important because doing a phone call 
sending a text have very, very little stabilizing qualities. Again, our earliest drive in life as a child for emotion uh, stabilization comes from being seen in the eye of the other. That's where we speak, we express experiences in someone else through listening, their face changes in relationship to what we talk about. So if we talk about something we're excited about, their face shows joy. If we talk about something that we're sad about, their face subtly expresses sadness. To diminish loneliness during this period is to schedule as many one-on-one, not group, but one-on-one FaceTime, Skype, Zoom calls, I know that that leads to what's called focus fatigue, which we can all be exhausted. We have too many Zoom calls, but it's important to to focus on connecting with people who are empathetic and who can listen while we speak about just what we've been feeling of late, uh, disclosing our affects and disclosing the repetitive thoughts that we've been struggling with. Um, to me, I always focus on all of the work I do is one-on-one interactions and through FaceTime, I never do calls. And I think it's the most beneficial way, even though we're not in the actual proximity with the other, that if we push ourselves to reveal or disclose things we've been struggling with, that that's um, so beneficial. And if somebody is sometimes falls into the tendency of immediately trying to fix or solve our emotions rather than just listen, it's great to simply set state a request. Like, can I share something with you? And could you just listen? I don't need, I'm right now not looking for a solution. I just want somebody to listen. Another way to diminish loneliness without uh, calling up someone with Zoom is called object constancy. In childhood, Children who develop or maintain a um, a mental impression of the helpful functions of their parents have the capability to explore, uh, to be confident and to be resilient. Whereas children who lack object constancy and internal image of the helpful qualities and functions of a of a person that's important tend to become far less confident scared of exploring and show far little far less resilience so one way is to visualize uh what the buddha called kaganusati visualize people that have been beneficial for us in the past, who have looked after us, who have cared about us, who have shown some degree of concern. Um, If you can't think of some, if no one comes immediately to mind, just visualize someone who you associate with those qualities of care, interest, love, and concern. Another practice that's really good in stabilizing emotions and to diminishing the effects of loneliness, Borges, Stephen Borges, noted that a lot of our mental functioning comes bottom up. State of our nervous system determines what kind of thinking 
and what kind of mood we'll be in. She was sure that noted, and both Pat Ogden that noted, if in early childhood uh, our bids for attention were met with love and attention and care, then our bodies will naturally fall into this sort of open, uh, you know, our heads will be up and we'll have good eye contact when we meet people. And even if we're not meeting people, we'll stay in that body state that's associated with exploration and uh, high functioning. But children who in early childhood uh, didn't get secure attention, their bodies would collapse, their, keep their heads down in a non-assertive po posture to avoid the harsh glares or glances of their parents. Pat Ogden once said something like, our body uh, is a statement of our entire psychological history. So changing the way we sit, holding this kind of relaxed but upright position where we keep the shoulders back, opening up the vagal nerve in the chest, puts us in, this, in a far better state than the slouched, uh, hunched over state that we can fall into if we're looking at a computer for too long. So lastly, um, to build up greater resilience and to protect us from mood plummets, priming ourselves with happy images and memories is an extremely effective way to trigger the release of serotonin in the anterior cingulate, which again is a mood stabilizer. So we can challenge ourselves every day to recall a positive memory, being connected with friends, um, being uh, in situations where we felt uh, connected with others positively, uh, any situation where we felt all, felt we experienced a great degree of peace, the Buddha called that santinusati. So priming the mind with positive images is an extremely effective uh, skill across the board, as we've been mentioning throughout all these different issues. So if we've been feeling alienation um, or apathy, what we're going to practice in the meditation is visualizing positive outcomes um, associated with our creativity or growth-oriented activities. If we, on the other hand, are just going to focus on reducing the effects of loneliness and social disconnection, or just to build up resilience during this um, stressful time, we're going to visualize positive memories of past events to stimulate serotonin. We're also going to visualize people that had positive effects on our life, people who are generous people who were uh, kind and so forth. That's known as Kaga Nusati, as well as uh, Deva Nusati. So, yeah, Whew. that was a lot of information. I hope that uh, some of you got something from that. And of course, if it was uh, too much um, to process in one listen, uh, it'll be on the podcast site. So um, now what we're going to do is we're going to do a meditation where we're going to start with self-soothing, and then we are going to move into positive visualizations to address some of the uh, 
issues that I referred to in the talk. So thank you for listening. Oh, and before I um, uh, lead the meditation, I should just note uh, for my own benefit that I am a uh, Buddhist pastor. My work is entirely done by donation. Um, obviously, if you've lost your job or you are struggling financially due to uh, the pandemic, of course, just focus on, you know, just taking care of feeding yourself and don't try to uh, support my work. If you still have um, a revenue stream of some sort in your life and you would like to support my work, the Venmo is uh, Dharma Punks, D-H-A-R-M-A-P-U-N-X-N-Y-C. Or on the site, you can um, find a PayPal button. And there's also an email uh, thing where we, you, we can put you on the email list. And that only comes out when there's something new to address. So that's about it. Let's find a really comfortable seated position. And we're going to just uh, find the, an upright position. Uh, mostly just upright means keep your head from slouching in front of your body and keep your body, you know, perpendicular to the ground. And then um, uh, Closing the eyes or looking, unfocusing the eyes and just looking at a, um, an indeterminate, unfocused place like the ground or some area where you don't uh, focus your attention externally. You want to bring your attention internally. Much of uh, mindfulness practice is disconnecting with the two areas where we devote most of our attention in life, which is to the world around us or to our thought, and to focus attention on the feelings, internal emotions, body states, um, which we're generally unaware of, or at least less aware of. And in so doing, this very practice of being mindfulness of our internal experience can be so uh, not only stabilizing of our moods, but can also create a inner refuge from all of the, uh, the difficulties and challenges associated with the pandemic around us. It's not a escape, it's simply a break so we can relax, rejuvenate, replenish. So um, I like to lead with my three uh, breaths that I take. If you'd like so uh, to follow, just take a Full inhalation, and you are invited to lift your shoulders up like you're trying to touch your ears, and then rotate the shoulders back so you open up your chest, and then we long out breath and drop the shoulders. So we're keeping the shoulders and the chest open, leaving a lot of room for the breath. And um, It's really good for toning the vagal nerve, which can help uh, 
downregulate moods, restore us to social engage system. So second, um, a nice complete inhalation as we squinch the muscles of the cranial nerve, you know, just the face clenching the forehead, the eyes pinching the nose, locking the jaw, just make an ugly face, undoing it, and then relax, soften the muscles in the face, release any tightness in the jaw. Imagine you can gently massage your forehead and release any tightness there. And then, as I always say, uh, encouraging the eyes to float in the eye sockets like they're bathing in a warm bath and uh, requesting that they don't move around behind your eyelids, that they just settle. When the eyes settle, in my experience, the mind follows. And then for our third breath, imagine you're breathing into your belly with the in-breath. So the in-breath will expand the belly like a balloon up towards the chest. And then as we breathe out, softening the belly, releasing. So the in-breath is an upward movement from the belly up to the chest. It's enlivening. The long exhalation releases any tension in the body, addresses the root of the vagal nerve, which is, again, the crux of our, uh, creates a feedback of our emotional affect state, state of being. Long, in, long exhalations in and of themselves uh, lower the heart rates, the breath rate, tone the vagal nerve. Long exhalations are soothing. If you're falling asleep, then focus on, on intense, strong inhalations, a kind of enlivening breath, where you bring all the awareness to the energy moving up your body. And now what we're going to do is just relax in the moment. This is the key to meditation and to developing a restorative practice is to relax in the moment. And that means setting an intention or reminding ourselves that everything we need to be happy and peaceful is here right now. We're not missing anything. The moments in our life where we are truly at one and peaceful are the ones where we stop trying to get anywhere, to do anything, to achieve anything, to take care of anything. The times in our life where we are most um, um, uh, at peace is when we just 
land in our body and land in the situation without adding anything, without trying to get through it, just being with, relaxing into. And the way we relax into is imagine you've just finished a very long hike, sludge, not sludge, uh, uh, trudge through your day. You've been trudging up this hill. You finally arrived at a place where you can sit. And there's a, a situation around you you've never seen before. You'll never experience again but mostly you just want to connect with a feeling of just settling and being with this moment. So you just sit down and you just release any tension in your body. So if your shoulders have started to become tight again, release them. You're just settling into this moment knowing there's no other time when you can achieve true happiness or at least a true sense of peace, stillness, oneness. It's only available in the present moment. Long exhalations, relaxed.
So at this point, um, we'll practice some of the visualizations. So, um, first, further, any struggles with motivation, feelings of apathy or overwhelm or just exhaustion. Uh, what we would do now is visualize a positive outcome that would accrue from sustaining some endeavor associated with uh, growth or self-care. It's fancy words for saying visualize something that you'd like to do that you know would be good with be a good idea but you haven't been able to do it. So that might be, you know, something creative, writing, or it could be uh, dealing with something unresolved in your life that needs to be taken care of, writing a message to someone, or uh, it could be, uh, something like exercise, where we just haven't had the energy to do it, or uh, anything. It really doesn't matter what it is. Just know what activity or action that we've been struggling to find motivation for. And then I'd like you to visualize the most beneficial outcome that would accrue, that could accrue, that could res result from pursuing this action, from undertaking it. So for example, if it's uh, exercise, we could visualize how great it would be to feel healthier, to feel more comfortable in our body, to feel stronger, to feel um, to feel able to relax easier. Just visualize how great it would be to be in a body that we've taken care of as well as we can. And just while you visualize or if you reflect on this idea, try to without it being phony, try to just allow the softest smile to spread while you hold this positive image in your mind or this positive reflection of, a, of the benefit, the long-term benefit. And once you can feel some sense of, of ease or comfort or some sense of even the slightest degree of um, excitement or if not excitement, just a degree of, of uh, engagement with the idea, then hold that feeling in the body, that smile on the face and link it with the activity that we haven't had the energy to pursue. Just link 
the action, the creative action, the action that needs to be taken care of, the, the exercise or whatever it is in our life that we need to do, just link that activity with the feeling of reward generated by the positive outcome. You were just linking the two together, associating that act with a really positive outcome. That's all we're doing. Just linking a reward state in the body with the idea of that action. And of course, all these practices we have to do daily to make that neural connection between, for example, undertaking an act associated with self-care that we haven't yet done with a sense of reward. Now to address some of the feelings of disconnection, emotional isolation or loneliness, I'd like you to now visualize someone who has expressed concern, care, empathy, someone who's been a friend, someone either in the present or in the past expressed interest in how you're doing, who could listen who exemplified that highest state of a true friend, someone that we could disclose our feelings and someone who would just be there without judging, but expressing care. If you can't, if no one comes to mind, visualize someone you associate with this, It could be Mr. Rogers. It could be anyone either in your life or someone who just is an incarnation of care and concern. For some people, Ama, the uh, woman associated with hugging
that's known as uh, Kaga Nusati in old Buddhism. And um, lastly, I would like to invite you for just to develop a sense of resilience, to bring to mind a memory of a really positive event or experience, uh, something that brings joy to recollect, a place, a group of friends, an experience, especially if you can bring to mind an experience that you can return to, reenact, that's still available. Visualizing a really positive outcome, we want to stimulate that production of serotonin to build resilience and uh, boost our mood just bring to mind something that we can still do in the future, which in the past brought us a sense of truly arriving in our life, a sense of value, a sense of completion. If you can't visualize it, just tell yourself what that was and just allow yourself to feel good about it. Maybe it's something you did to help others.
So I'm going to now ring the uh, bell. And when you hear the sound, just allow your So if to take as long as you need to very slowly move from uh, the meditation to the external awareness, the images in front of you and around you. But try to bring awareness of any feelings or any, any subtle shifts of mood that resulted from the practice or just awareness of your body. Mm 